All right, what's going on, Eden Church? You guys are looking fantastic. Great to be here with you today. My name is Daniel. If uh, we haven't had a chance to meet, uh, if it is your first time, I do want to encourage you. I'll be standing at the Connect Center right after service, which is right here in the back of our room. Would love to get a chance to meet you. Uh, we do have uh, a small gift as a thank you for being here with us today. All that I would ask is uh, Goodwill called us, and they said they're being overrun by our Eden Cups, so don't turn it into Goodwill. Uh, we hate to keep repurposing them. But anyways, we do have a little gift for you, and uh, grateful that you're here. do want to say a special welcome to all of you who are joining us online. As always, we love that our online tribe can stay connected wherever you are, and I am just impressed with the amount of committed people who showed up in the rain on a cold day to come to church. What's up with that? I'm impressed, you guys. This is a new era for Eden Church. All right, we're turning a new leaf. Um, before we get started today, I do want to take uh, a quick moment uh, to, to just celebrate uh, at least one thing. Uh, we are celebrating today that, that over about 80 people have participated uh, on the Bible app during our 21 days of prayer and fasting which is something to celebrate. It's been so amazing and so encouraging. And, uh, and so we've, as a church, have made this part of our normal rhythm. With it. We're at the beginning of the year. We start uh, with a fast. And over the last few days, uh, I've pondered on a few things, thought about a few things. Number one, uh, why do we call it a fast? There ain't nothing fast about a fast. It is, it, the point of the fast is to slow things down. Uh, but what we are learning is that in that slower pace, in that inability to operate uh, in, in the same way when you're fasting, we realize that maybe that slower pace is God's pace. Because over the last seven, several days on the app, we have just heard so much wisdom and insight coming from people in this community sharing about how this fast is transforming them from the inside out. And so I want to share with permission uh, a few of those thoughts that have been shared on the app. Uh, Kristen said, when I fast... I'm ridding myself of the noise, the constant distractions, and the false belief that I need anything else as much as I need God in my life. I'm finding so much peace and hope and energy during this time. Comparisons and anxieties are quieted, and I have a fresh desire to see my life change. I'm beginning to believe that even richer and more passion, a more richer and passionate relationship with God is entirely possible. <laughs> Carlos. Carlos shared, this is telling me to honor the God that created my body, that redeemed my body, and the Holy Spirit that dwells in my body, to flee from temptation of sin that can destroy what God has created. Okay, I'm just sharing a few, but our, we have hundreds of these types of insights that are being shared in the Bible app, and it's been an amazing experience over the last seven days, and, um, and we still have 14 days left to go. So if you have not had a chance to sign up on the app, I want to encourage you. It's not too late. 14 days will, do, uh, will be such a blessing to you. You can go to eden.church forward slash fast. Join in on the conversation. I know that you're going to be encouraged by it. I know that, that I have been. Um, and so hopefully we'll see you there. Now today we are in week two of our series called It's Complicated. All right, some of you thought we were talking about relationships and uh, we're not, but if you need to talk, feel free to reach out to me. My email is on the website, okay? But we're actually talking about normal, everyday life. And the reason why we've called this complicated is probably not, so, not a surprise to anybody. Because if you're like me, you have probably recognized that as the years pass on, your life seems to just become more increasingly complicated for whatever reason. And I think that that is particularly true 
if you live in Silicon Valley. And what a more complicated life has meant for a lot of people is that we are busier than we've ever been before, which means that we are more in a rush than maybe we've ever been before. Maybe we're a little bit more anxious in, in what we do, and it's no surprise that if that is the state of our life, it is no surprise that our soul has been suffering as a result of it. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to look at the life of a guy named David who lived about 3,000 years ago, and we're going to see that David actually lived a really complicated life, but somehow in the midst of the complexity of his life, he managed to develop a deeply connected life with God. And that's our hope, is that over this series, we'll begin to learn some principles and practices that'll help us to connect with God in the midst of what is a very crazy season in our generation. And the reality is, is that it is probably not going to get any less busier. So what do we do? Week one, we talked about the need to be near to God because we learned that the closer we are to God, the nearer that we are to our source of sustaining power in the world. This is week two, and today we're going to talk about learning to live in God's favor. Learning to live in God's favor. Last week, uh, just to kind of get you up to speed if you weren't here, if you weren't here, um, you can also go to our YouTube channel uh, and check out the, the service there. Uh, we have all of our sermons and messages posted online. You can check it out, eden.church. At the bottom, there's a YouTube link. Uh, love for you to check it out. But last week, I'll give you a brief synopsis. We talked about the life of David, and David was what we call an Israelite. And an Israelite, uh, they had a really unique relationship with God. They were the community that God chose to represent his values in our world. And part of God calling them to be that level, that type of person was also him challenging them to be set apart. Now, another word for set apart is what the Old Testament oftentimes referred to as holy. The word in Hebrew for holy is kadesh, and it comes from the Hebrew root word kadash, which means to be set apart for a specific purpose, to be unique, to be different. Now, if you're like me, and you were a follower of Jesus growing up in the 90s, that might have meant a number of things. Uh, you had in our youth group a lot of poorly branded clothing items for Christians. And a lot of times, uh, if you wore like a WWJD bracelet, that's what you thought it meant to be set apart. But the problem is that all the kids who are wearing those WWJD bracelets were doing all the bad things. They just weren't doing them at church. You know what I, who knows what I'm talking about? Can I get an amen in the room? That's not what it meant. The point was to be set apart to be different, to not allow for your environment to distract you from your relationship with God. And what was so sad about the Israelites is that they had all the opportunity in the world to succeed, and yet when they re-entered into the promised land, they got caught up in what everyone else was doing. And you know, like I know, that that's probably a really easy thing to do. I remember when I was growing up, and uh, like I said, I was at the church, but uh, like a lot of other kids, my brothers included, we listened to questionable music. And, uh, and my dad never liked us listening to vulgar music. Uh, and we would always try to make the case that we're not actually listening to the words, we're just listening to the beat, the music itself. That's what we're interested in. But this is what my dad knew, is that what you put in is what you get out. And whether you want to or not, your environment will influence how you think and how you behave. We all know that. How many times have we said that we are cutting out sugar from the diet? And then you get invited to a birthday party. And what do you do? We see you in the corner eating the cake. 
Okay, how many of you guys said, uh, I'm, I'm done drinking. I'm going to take a little fast from drinking. Then you show up to a party, and when everyone else is drinking, it's a lot harder to say no. Someone once said that you are the sum total of your five most important relationships. Show me your friends, and I will show you your future. And this was the Israelites. Despite God's warning, they just started to drift, and they kept thinking that the answer to their problems was to do what everyone else was doing. Look what it says in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 4 and 5. It said, Finally, all the elders of Israel met at Ramah to discuss the matter with Samuel. Look, they told him, you are now old, and your sons are not like you. Give us a king to judge us like all the other nations have. When they talked about the elders, they were typically referring to the leaders of the 12 tribes of Israel, and sometimes these leaders function as a committee to make decisions. And so when they went to Samuel, they asked him for a king because that's sort of the rhythm and the paradigm that all the other uh, kingdom city states were operating within. They wanted a king to rule over them. And so you might ask the question, well, who is Samuel? Samuel was considered the primary spiritual leader of Israel. Now, he was not like the Pope, uh, different, but uh, he carried a lot of the same weight as someone who uh, reveres the Pope would carry. And, uh, and so Samuel's main role in David's story is that he carried out God's will for his people. And so when the leaders asked Samuel to give him a king, what they were really doing was asking Samuel to ask God for a king. And even though it wasn't God's timing, he gave them a king anyways. And so God told Samuel, go and find Israel's king. And I just want to say a quick statement. We are talking about King David, and we are going to get there really, really soon. <laughs> First Samuel chapter 9, verse 1. It says, there was a wealthy, influential man named Kish from the tribe of Benjamin, he was the son of Abiel, the son of Zerar, son of Becheroth, son of Aphiah, of the tribes of Benjamin. His son Saul was the most handsome man in Israel, head and shoulders taller than anyone else in the land. Saul was exactly the type of person the people of Israel envisioned being their king. He came from a wealthy family. He was handsome. He was tall. He was a strong leader. He had a number of accomplishments underneath his belt. And at first, Saul was everything they hoped that he was be. He would be. He was winning battles. He was expanding the kingdom, and he was strengthening a kingdom that at one time had been in decline. But then, First Samuel chapter fourteen, verse forty-seven and forty-eight, it says, "Now when Saul had secured his grasp on Israel's throne, he fought against his enemies in every direction, against Moab and Ammon and Eden and the kings of Zobah." and the Philistines. And whenever he turned, he was victorious. He performed great deeds and conquered the Amalekites, saving Israel from all those who had plundered them. He was kind of like Jimmy Garoppolo for the Niners at first. Okay, I know that's offensive to some of you. Maybe you guys don't follow football. All we know is that it didn't quite work out. And I thought, what if Jimmy came to church today? I would, I would just say Trey Lance. If I saw Jimmy in the audience, I would say, Trey Lance didn't work out. Okay, that's kind of what it was like. Saul was like this person that they thought was going to solve all of their problems. He was a great leader, had all these expectations on his life. And then what we see is that it didn't quite, quite work out. Saul was never quite able to live up to the hype. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 24. It says, then Saul admitted to Samuel, yes, I have sinned. I've disobeyed your instructions and the Lord's command, for I was afraid of the people, and they did what they demanded. 
Anyone watch football? I didn't feel like people knew who Jimmy Garoppolo was. <laughs> Just mark not to tell that joke again. <laughs> but it's crazy. We start to see Saul's holes in his leadership style. He, he disobeys God in the middle of a battle, and then he blames it on his people. And what Samuel was beginning to notice is that Saul's competency outpaced his character. And that is sometimes you probably know the danger of putting people in places of authority when they haven't had the time to develop their character. We kind of see this all of the time. You guys have probably heard the name Sam Bankman Freed. Okay, he was the founder of FTX, which was like this platform uh, for a cryptocurrency exchange. And then we all know that people were investing money. And what was he doing? He was not reinvesting that money. He was taking it and living a lavish lifestyle. Others, you probably recognize the name Elizabeth Holmes. She started uh, Theranos, and uh, it was supposed to be this revolutionary biotech company, and she was taking a bunch of investors' money, uh, acting like there was this uh, brand new technology serving in a unique way, and all of it was a lie. Competency without character is never good. And so there was this growing set of data points about Saul's life that he did not have the character to lead the people of Israel, and this was God's response. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 16. It says, now the Lord said to Samuel, you have mourned long enough for Saul. I have rejected him as king of Israel. So fill your flask with olive oil and go to Bethlehem. Find a man named Jesse who lived there, for I have selected one of his sons to be my king. God said, I will not continue to bless your disobedience. And so God instructed Samuel, go find another king from the sons of Jesse who lives in Bethlehem. So Samuel went, verse Samuel 16, 8 through 13. It says, Then Jesse told his son Abinadab to step forward and walk in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, This is not the one the Lord has chosen. Next, Jesse summoned Shemaiah. But Samuel said, Neither is this one the Lord has chosen. In the same way, all seven of Jesse's sons were presented to Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen any of these. Can you imagine this moment? Samuel's directed by God to go find this guy named Jesse in Bethlehem. So he goes to Bethlehem, and he doesn't quite explain to Jesse all that's going on. But he says, let's uh, bring your sons. We're going to enter into a sacrifice. And slowly, one by one, each son comes, and Samuel is assessing each of them. And one after the other, he doesn't find what he's looking for. And I imagine that, you know, Jesse probably brought his seven most handsome sons. They were probably tall and educated and good-looking. But the problem is that Samuel was not looking for another Saul. Samuel was looking for a king who could lead with character. Verse 11, then Samuel asked, are these all the sons you have? He probably asked right in front of them. That would have been embarrassing. <laughs> they're, they're still the youngest, Jesse replied. But he's out in the fields watching the sheep and goats. Send for him at once, Samuel said. We will not sit down to eat until he arrives. So we find out that there's still another brother that unfortunately didn't get invited to the party. And what that means about what David's dad thought of him is that David's dad didn't even think that he was impressive enough to present him in front of Samuel. We're told that he was in the field with the sheep and goat. He was a shepherd. And a shepherd, maybe from our perspective, Christmas time, 
is this really iconic role in our generation, but in that time, it was nothing impressive. You were looked down upon. There was a social stigma about your job. Oftentimes, uh, many owners in a household, that would be the least likely, the least impressive job to have. And oftentimes, it was so low that uh, farmers in their own house wouldn't even want their own children to be shepherds, so they'd hire out a servant to function in that capacity. But if they had to use their own children, they would bring along the youngest child because they had the lowest status. That was David's status in his family. And Samuel says, go and get him, verse 12. So Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. And the Lord said, this is the one. Anoint him. So David stood there among his brothers. Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with oil. And the spirit of the Lord came powerfully on David from that day on. Then Samuel returned to Ramah. Here are a few things that we learn from David's story. You have to be careful who you invite into speaking into your life. His family, his own family, didn't even see what God saw in him. And that kind of happens sometimes, right? And we're not going to vilify David's family, but sometimes uh, people can only view you through their own lens of experience. And when they do, they're evaluating your life based, through, based on their lens. And so you have to be careful who you let speak into your life. They saw David probably the way that everybody else saw David. David was the antithesis of Saul. Saul was tall, David was small. Saul was a man, David was a boy. Saul had experience, David was inexperienced. Saul was a king, David was a shepherd boy. Saul was admired, David lived in obscurity. If it were up to David's family, he would have never become king. Number two, we have to know that God has a purpose for our life. David was literally the youngest and least valuable person in his entire family. He found out that when this spiritual influencer in his land came to his own house, he didn't get invited to the party. You know what it's like not to be invited to a party? It feels pretty bad. I, I was on a Pop Warner football team one time, and uh, some really smart leader in that organization, decided to get all the kids together, and, uh, and one parent had a limited number of invitations uh, to their son's birthday party, and 15 out of the 45 kids on that team got invited to the party, and the other 30 realized that they were not cool enough. Now, you're probably wondering, where did I land on that list? <laughs> Just going to tell you, I had a free Friday night, <laughs> and it doesn't even bother me. I don't even think about that anymore. <laughs> But David was not valuable enough to his own family to even be invited to the party. But in a moment, David went from obscurity to anointing. And here's what's so powerful about it. Here's what's so powerful. David didn't even have to do anything except for be faithful to what God had put in front of him. Even though no one was watching David, God was watching David. And in obscurity, when no one else had David on their radar, God was forming his character and preparing him for what God had planned for him. And I think that maybe there are some of us in the room that need to be reminded of that today because there are probably times in your life when you reflect and you wonder, how did I end up where I am today? Why am I not further than where I am right now? Why do we not have as much as my neighbor down the street? Why do we think so often about what we don't have? And sometimes if that has ever been a pattern in your thinking, it can be discouraging. 
But even when nothing about your current set of circumstances suggests that you are in the right place, you have to trust that God has a plan in your life and that he is at work on it. Romans chapter 8 verse 28 says, And we know that God causes everything to work together for good for those who are love for those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Sometimes I think that we have been laboring for so long and we have gotten so close to that breakthrough moment in our life and then we give up in the middle of the process. Right when God is about to do something on our behalf, we give in to the pressure. Right when God is about to do something in our lives, we give in to the temptation and we begin to derail and off-board ourselves on the path that God has planned for us. And most of the time, the plan that God has for you unfolds in the middle of your faithfulness. And this is a funny thing. Number three, faithfulness is a heart issue to God. Faithfulness is all about the heart. Notice that God did not choose David because of any outward achievement. He literally had none. David had no recognizable accomplishment. David was chosen because he had a genuine heart for God. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, it says, Don't judge by his appearance or height. The Lord doesn't see things the way that you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The difference between David and Saul, David wasn't qualified. David wasn't educated. David did not deserve a place at the table, and yet he was exactly the type of person that God uses to build his kingdom. And all throughout Scripture, that has been the currency for blessing in, in our lives. Not what you do, but who you are becoming in the process. But the challenge for so many of us is that it is so much easier to focus on investing on the outward instead of what is happening inside. And if that has been your story, what you have probably learned somewhere <laughs> along the way is that even if you were limping on the outside and life is good on the inside, I'm sorry, limping on the inside, life is good on the outside, you are still hurting where it matters most. Long-standing faithfulness is what it requires to build and develop a care for the heart, a healthy heart. And if you've been on this journey for fasting over the last seven days, that may be what you're learning. Fasting is really destructive to the outward body, but it is like fogo de chao for the soul. It just fills you up. It satisfies you. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. It says, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is a wellspring of life. And that's what David was learning. And he leveraged his position in life to develop a heart that longed for God. Finally, we see that David learned to live in God's favor. I love how in this moment, David just stepped into anointing. He didn't refuse it. He just received it. He stepped into God's favor. There's a guy, uh, whenever we go surfing out in Santa Cruz, uh, he has this really big board. And, uh, and it's, I'm really happy for him because he just seems to catch all the waves. And, uh, and we'll see him pass by us three or four times before we've ever even tried to chase down a wave. And so I started studying his approach. I said, what is he doing that I'm not doing? Why is he enjoying his life and I'm not enjoying my life? 
And so I started watching him. Now, part of it, he had a really big board, but the other part is he always seemed to find himself in the right space at the right time. Like he just knew where the wave was going to build up and it, where it was going to break. And I swear, I just started watching this guy and he barely even paddled. He like did one, two, and then he just kind of glided with the wave and he passed me by again. And I'd say, good job, man. And I'd try to swim where he was. But it was so cool how over and over again, I got to see how the wave caught him and carried him. That's what I think it looks like to live in God's favor. He just carries us. And we're not constantly hustling and scratching to get ahead. We're not constantly worried and anxious about the next thing. We just allow for ourselves to live in God's favor and in the promise that he has given us that if we are his children, he will take us and guide us and lead us to every good thing that he has for our life. It's what it's called to live and be carried by God's grace. And I wonder sometimes how often our life becomes complicated, not because it has to be, but because we are trying to be in control of every little detail of our life. Details that we were never intended to be in charge of. Details that we have no authority over. Details that we were never meant to be in control over. And when our lives begin to break down, it is those things that we never really had control over letting us know that we have no authority over them. And maybe the question for some of us today is what are we carrying today that God never intended for you to carry? What burden are you hanging on to? What type of life are you building a foundation upon? Because God has given us some promises. God said his burden is light and his yoke is easy. And if your burden is heavy and your yoke is hard, you are not living the type of life that God intended for you to live. God says you can cast every single one of your cares upon him. God says you can be anxious for nothing. God said that he is the way and the light. And I imagine that there are probably some of us today that have shown up into this room with a heavy heart. And we feel like we're just trudging through mud every day and week and month. And the reason is, is because you are probably carrying a weight that you were never intended to carry. And there are some of us that are longing to live in that promise. But this is the good news, is that Jesus came so that you didn't have to live under the weight of your own sin. You didn't have to live under the expectations of Silicon Valley culture. They don't get to define the values by which you live your life. God came to establish a new set of values, one that sets you free. And God said, all you have to do, he didn't want your money, he didn't want anything from you, all he wants is your heart. And all he's asking is for you to surrender that heart to him. And he promises that he will do more with your life than you could ever do on your own. And the beautiful part about this whole relationship with God is that we don't have to do anything to earn it, but it's this free gift that he has offered to us. But the only way that we ever experience the gift is if we receive it.
if we invite it into our life. And so this morning, I want to take a moment to allow those of you who have never crossed the finish line of faith to step into faith for the first time, to receive the gift of salvation, to surrender your heart to God and to see what he will do with your life. And so if that's you this morning, I'm going to ask for every person to bow their head and to close their eyes. If this morning you're ready to step out of the type of life where every burden is dependent on your strength and step into a life where God said, I will carry every burden for you. If you're ready to step into the promise that you were created for this morning, I want to give you a chance to do that. And I'm going to lead you in a really simple prayer. And all you have to do is repeat these words after me in your heart. And it's nothing about the words that are special, but it's whether or not these words reflect the condition of your heart. You can repeat after me. Dear God, I realize that I can't do it on my own. I recognize that I need you to fill in the gap. God, thank you for loving me even when I didn't love you. Today I'm ready to step out of the old life and into the new life. Today I believe that you loved me enough to send your son on the cross to sacrifice his life on my behalf. And today, God, I desire to be clean, washed of all the guilt and all the shame and to live a brand new life in you. I pray all this in Jesus' name. I believe. I'm going to ask you to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed this morning. And for those of you who prayed that prayer in your heart, I'm going to ask you to take one more step of faith. And on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. And we do this because what we have realized is that whenever we respond physically to what God is doing spiritually, it solidifies something in our life. And today I pray, we have prayed that this would be the day of salvation for some. That people would step into faith. And so on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. One, you are so deeply loved by God. Two, you did not end up here on accident. Three, go ahead and raise your hand. I see you, 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 I see you. Any others? If you're tuning in online, go ahead and press the button at the bottom of the screen. Our host online will make sure to get you all the resources you need to help keep continue your relationship with God. Father, we thank you so much for every life that stepped into faith. And God, we thank you that you have laid out a path for peace. And that God, when we step into faith, we don't have to earn your favor. We already have it. We don't have to earn your love. You've already given it. And God, we pray that as we go about our day and so many of us live with a burden that feels heavier than we can bear, would you remind us, God, that we already live in your favor and that when you look at us, you look at us with the love of a father upon a child and that there's nothing we could do to ever separate ourselves from that great love. 
God, we thank you. We praise you. In your son's precious name we pray. Amen. Would you all do me a favor this morning? Would you help me to celebrate every life that stepped into faith for the first time? Thank you.